Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. The 40-year-old version. Written and directed by Rada Blank. 2020. Quickly approaching her 40th birthday, an unsung playwright turns to hip-hop in search of a creative stage where her voice will finally be celebrated. Whether you're new to Crow Talk or a seasoned listener, you're joining us during a singular time in 21st century history. As you're critically aware, coronavirus has rerouted normal life, tipping everything expected on its head. This podcast is no exception. Instead of recording Season 3 episodes from our studio at Western Washington University, we will be podcasting from our couches and remote workstations. We will use headphones with tiny microphones as dogs bark outside and our partners quietly bring us tea. Just as the quality of our production must shift, so has the dynamic of film viewing. So, welcome to our Season 3 series, Streaming in the Time of COVID, where we will reflect on the experience of viewing, share yays and nays, squawk our opinions, and consider takeaways. Things we want to remember moving forward about this film, or film in general. Welcome back, gentle listener, with another episode of Crow Talk Film Squawk during this crazy time of COVID. Hopefully you are hanging in there. We happen to be recording right now on election day. <coughs> and though emotions are certainly running high, we're extremely excited to podcast about the 40-year-old version, Rada Blank's debut film. And as per usual, it's the three of us, Rochelle, Stacy, Cassidy. And I'm not checking the numbers in the background secretly. Oh, no. Stacy. Uh, the anxiety. This is for my mental health. Okay, but every time you check the polls, I'm like, don't talk to me about it. And then every okay. day and every minute, you're like, I'm checking the polls. Okay, I won't mention it again. No I'm more election ready. talk. This is it. Well, except for I have one more thing to say because oh. it's so bizarre that we really won't revisit this podcast for mul- multiple weeks. You know, it'll be posted at the end of this month. And so anything can happen. We're, we're speaking from a very uninformed place right now. It's, it's just, mm. it's kind of creepy to me. Just a void of anxiety. Wow. That's such a good point. So who we are oh. today is not who we will be. When we listen to this podcast at the end of November, I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. <laughs> Future Stacy, I hope you're doing okay and you're great and a shining star. I love you. Just some self talk for my future self. So, considering that we are not overly uh, thrilled about our current ignorant state regarding the election, we can be thinking a little bit about the things we loved about this film and we can share with our, our listeners yays. Reasons why to seek out Rada Blank's, I mean, let's be real, incredible film. Oh my God. It's Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite indie films ever of all time. Like, so good. Why is that, Cassidy? (laughs) There are many reasons. A yay for this film is is hard because there's many, again. Uh, I feel like I always have similar yays. So here I come with a curveball yay. Cassidy's (laughs) curveball yay is it's a little big victory story. So Mm. it's like just from her little corner of the world, but it, yeah, she has like a big victory. So on a personal level, love, love that type of a story. You know, when you're watching a movie and you're so enamored with the character and you think, golly, I wish this person were real. And then you (laughs) watched 40 year old version. You're like, wow, this person is real. (laughs) That is my yay that Rada Blank is a real human being. Thank God. Thank God. 
<laughs> Goddess. Yeah, Radha's a her ability to tell her personal story and then make it feel very applicable to any struggling artist whose voice has not been found yet or they haven't found a home for that voice is for me it was like a salve for the soul for someone who you know you work and you work and you try and you give and you don't always land you know with the audience that you're reaching out to it doesn't always quite fit and so i loved watching her explore ways for her voice to emerge and for it to find a home while also still traversing the world that she thought she really wanted to be a part of the most. I just, there's, it gives from both sides for me, uh, the underdog story piece and then just the relatability. So Nace, reasons why someone might not view this, this film on Netflix. Okay. My name comes really from my husband and not he didn't have a critique about this film. He just doesn't like black and white. So that's my only day. If you like have a hard time with black and white, watch this film anyway, because it's awesome. <laughs> but maybe that it's shot in black and white could be a nay for some. Um, I don't have an A other than it's like a few hours before the, the election. That's my only day here. <laughs> so not related to the again. actual film. Just... I don't have <laughs> I have no nays for 40 year old version I think that everyone should watch it anyone who is a human being aging on the planet is going to get something out of this my nay because I do have one I feel like now I'm betraying everyone but I do have a nay for me as I was watching the film, I very much understood the story structure that was at play. Uh, it's it's classic rise and fall. And as as the fifty percent mark halfway through hit, and we, we you know we see a certain amount of failure, and then we get that the sellout side of this type of story, and the questions that emerge from that uh, at the sixty percent mark, closer to the three quarters. I just I very much understood what was going to happen when it was going to happen, and that there was so much other authenticity and originality in the film, I felt like that classic structure stuck out more to me than it may have in a less original or less authentic film. So it's it's like a pro-nay, like yay for the originality, yay for the authenticity, but the story design didn't necessarily meet that level. Um, it wasn't at the same level for me uh, as far as unpredictability. I wonder if that comes from her creating the film from a play. That's a really great point. Yeah. If that, yeah, if the translation didn't hit quite right, maybe, you know, that just seems like something a playwright could do, you know, just like appreciating structure and writing in a more classical way when it comes to, you know, yeah, the rise and fall of a storyline. Yeah, I love that. I would love to go through and now analyze between a three-act and a five-act structure and see where those beats would hit and and how the translation or how the edit would have worked from a stage performance, which this was. It started as the Rodimus Prime 40-year-old version live stage performance and then was adapted for film. She is so cool. I saw, I watched part of an interview. I'm like pulling a classic Cassidy on this podcast those of you if, you've, if it's your first time listening I don't do my homework very often <laughs> so I heard about this film before it came out and was so excited to podcast about it 
one of the interviews I watched was Rada talking to somebody, I believe Netflix posted the interview just about how she shamelessly ripped off the name 40 year old virgin. I don't know why I felt like interjecting that, but I just love that she was so shameless about that. And like, yeah, appropriating this name, deal with it, take it. And it fits so perfectly with the story she's bringing to the table too. Like this is very brilliant. So. And the film was received very well at Sundance winning the U.S. Dramatic Competition Directing Award. It was nominated for the U.S. Dramatic Competition Grand Jury Prize. Uh, nominated, didn't win, but it was nominated. And as this is her, her her very first film, you know, I was super impressed with some of the specific decisions that, that she made and the influences that she drew from. But you mentioned something so cool, Cassidy, the idea of a history between plays and film and the translation we we receive when when a play does become a film and how sometimes that translates very well and sometimes it doesn't in this case you know she got to transform her own work we've had so many stage plays turned into films let alone musicals and do any come to mind for you at all that that you remember that it was a play and now it's a film and there was maybe talk around that i mean lame is just to bring up the election again <laughs> i've been listening to that a little a little, just to like be hardcore prepared. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen that on stage. And then I guess that's a terrible example, though, because it's a straight, like the script is straight from the stage to the film version of Les Mis. Like there's none of the script changes at all. And I'm assuming with this film, some of the script was changed a bit. Did either of you ever see the film adaptation for August Osage County, Tracy Letts's stage play? turned film featuring like Meryl Streep, et cetera. Mm -mm. A while ago. Long time. That was a a long time ago. I did. But it's been so long. Yeah. You know, it utilized a lot of uh, what would be termed monologue. You know, you've got the main character, Meryl Streep, just dialoguing uh, for herself, really, uh, to her family. She's just like the talker. And it, for me, didn't translate very well. the idea of sitting around and talking is is hard to capture on film well. Um, so often that's why I think that the 40-year-old version really traverses that transition well because there's so little sitting around and talking. You're, you're living, breathing New York City as a character, as a character that's not boring to me, as a character that's not overplayed as so many New York settings are for me right now. It felt fresh. It felt very 90s. And mm. it didn't feel like mm-hmm. a play. Like, And I feel like that is hard to do as well. You know, like even thinking of, you know, dialogue and musicals, just the dialogue of plays. I feel like there is a certain thespian leaning vibe that you get from scripts like that and even performances of the stage. And this, this just never, and I, Rochelle, I don't write like you. So I never, I wouldn't see like a story arc like you can. But yeah, to me, it just felt like it was meant to be a film. Like it was written as a film, essentially. I would never think like, oh, this was a play first. Well, and obviously me either. You're the one who pointed out that it was a play and maybe that was where the art came from. So you're seeing the arc without naming it. You know, you like we're programmed to take in these stories and we're programmed to take in these story designs and determine whether it's comfortable for our story proclivities or not. How it pushes against that expectation that we've created, uh, 
And that's that's exciting to me. Uh, I love that you said that though. You totally, you totally feel it. You feel the story arc cast. Like you were the one who you were the that's one who so brought nice. it back to plays. It's so cool. I mean, I did my homework a little bit before I watched the movie, as I said earlier. So I do wonder, and maybe Stacey, you'll have something to say about this. I do wonder if the reason why it doesn't feel as much like a play, the dialogue is is more fresh and natural than we sometimes get from plays is because of Rada's choice to lean in to the mockumentary angle, to lean in a little bit to that type of repartee in dialogue, which might have helped remove some of that uh, thespian stage leaning? I think so. I think that in some ways, the creative choices that she made removes it from that higher state of performance. And at the same time, I see the opposite effect too, because in some ways the film was very heightened. The black and white told me that this is, you know, different. The fact that she breaks the fourth wall a few times, that mockumentary vibe makes it more heightened again, but it not in a way that reads theater, I guess. It's a heightened place where film works really well. Like I'm thinking of Fleabag because I just watched Fleabag and and that's totally big. Like those are big characters. And I would say the same for a 40 year old version. I think she's pretty like heightened for sure. She's a caricature of herself. But yeah, it doesn't go theater for me at all, really. And maybe it's because there's a theater in there. So we're seeing people playing on the stage to sort of reinforce like this is <laughs> you get some like heavy lesbian like dialogue in there right like <laughs> the inane white girl yeah who's like whatever whatever her character was like we have these like ridiculous characters that are on stage to clearly define stage from film acting so i don't know that doesn't really answer anything other than that's just my observation is that yeah it's somehow not that sort of exaggerated theater portrayal that can not do well on film it feels cheesy on film but it completely the choices that she made which made it bigger worked and were subtle still at the same time it's like subtle and big at the same time is what i'm trying to say i made it we've arrived <laughs> we've we've arrived i wonder if there's an absence of that theater-esque quality because of the degree of scenes and space that's occupied and how much, like I said before, New York, but also multiple sets, like large rooms that center around one person. So you get the mood of the room and there's lots of details, but really you're focused in on the one person, uh, which can be achieved so well through, through the lens. I'm thinking about like the stage play by Yasmina Riza, God of Carnage. And I never saw it as a play, but it basically takes place in just one apartment, just a couple a couple rooms in one apartment. And it's about two couples that are starting out this conversation that they're having together um, pleasantly. And it essentially devolves into their most base personalities and the realities of who they are, these terrible people living underneath these like high society personas and they essentially eviscerate one another verbally and emotionally and it all takes place in, in very confined quarters and then of, of course it was it was remade for a, a film as a film called Carnage and it was Polanski takes this stage play and and redoes it and the film is good i really enjoy the film but they only have to work in these small spaces. And Rada threw the doors open and took us all over. I mean, 
even in an interview, she talks about how far she had to travel uh, to go like locate D to get beats and things like that. And she says it like it's so obvious. And anyone who lives in New York knows how far she traveled. Well, I've never been to New York, so I don't know how far that is, but it's really far, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that. I think that helped remove some of the really. theatrical uh, stage elements. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. Just the number of locations. And I mean, and it's a straight play. I mean, I guess it is a musical too, though. I mean, depending on how technical you want to get with that definition. I mean, it's talking about the story is, as she has said in multiple interviews, is her life work. Like it's her, it's her body of work thus far. So it's just, there's so much in there, you know, it's so rich and deep and layered. It's, it's impossible for it to not translate well, really, no matter what the medium is. You know what I mean? And she just also happens to be exceptional. Like this doesn't work for everyone to be able to be in it, to be everything. She's right. everything. So it really is just magical how this all worked, I think. Because <laughs> it yeah. really rarely works. I mean, this is why we don't see this happen all the time. Well, and her talent, you know, obviously she she made the film and she's really fun to watch. I really appreciated the, the characterization of, of this caricature of herself on screen. And then she and then she raps. And I I really was unprepared. For the degree, like I, I did not understand that I was going to get to experience that level of talent and the content of, of her music and what drives her there and how she's unpacking her identity through these lyrics. And it's just all out there, right out there for, for the viewer, completely unexpected if you didn't realize that, you know, she, she's been Rodimus Prime for a while. It's been part of her persona and, you know, Oswin Benjamin, who plays D, he is a rapper, a rap artist, and he, he has his own music. And so it's very much a part of the the story. But I was I was a little taken back. And I'm like, whoa, awesome. Okay, this got even better. I was so starstruck. The film reminds me of my octopus teacher in this way. Rada returned to herself in finding rap again. It was something she always loved since she was 10 years old. And she was having a shit time of it. And at 40 decides, you know, to like pursue again, something she loves with really like, no rhyme or reason, other than like, she's feeling lost. And, and that's something that grounds her and just like an octopus teacher where he like goes back to that kelp forest, because he did that as a kid. It's like this beautiful grounding element. And I feel like as a creative I identify with that portion of it so hard. Like, what have you always loved? Like, what did you love when you were seven? Figure out how to bring that into your life and into your experience. And she did that in such a fucking cool way where not only did she like meet a hottie along the way that she like (laughs) was probably dating or whatever, you know, but and expanded her creativity and, you know, figured out that maybe the high society path isn't her path you know she like found so much out about herself by coming back full circle like to her childlike self so I love that you tease that out Cass because I came across this bit of advice that she had in this article from cheatsheet.com and that is find people who love you now who are not waiting for you to be hot or popular or wanted and develop something with them now so it's all about love go where the love is. Mm -hmm. And so that seems to be her 
mantra, her guiding force is to follow love. And that certainly shows in this film and totally validates what you said about her going back to her childhood self and connecting with that part of her creative side of who she is as a poet and a rapper. It's just so authentic. Like you can't, when it's that authentic, it just is so good. You can't, it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need any other dressing. Speaking of exploring true self and representation of true identity, I was compelled by Rada's description of influences for choosing black and white as the medium through which she wanted to share her film. And of course, you know, she mentioned Spike Lee, and I don't mean that as like a castaway because Spike Lee is just formative uh, in the utilage of of black and white and just as an inspiration. But specifically, she spoke about photographers who really focused on either autobiographical photographs in their in their work and in their presentation or the use of certain modes to capture different tones within skin tone. So more of like the silvers and the mild tones like a Roy DiCarava would use and how that really spoke to her trying to show the different facets of, of skin tone as a way of seeing deeper into the identity uh, and the truth of the humans that she populated her film with. And I, I was just inspired by that. That is beautiful. I mean, yeah, I'm just not surprised about that either because you can feel the heart in the art mm-hmm. of this film, like all the way around. I feel like you can just feel how well thought through everything is in viewing it. And such visual choices. It's interesting she has the still photos that freeze frame throughout the film in color. Mm. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that specifically made me think of Watermelon Woman. It's so, it's got a similar DNA, these two films. And maybe it is the New York aesthetic that's there. And then those still frames peppered throughout it definitely felt like an homage to water, to watermelon woman for sure in its style. I wouldn't be surprised if she thought of that too. It's just amazing to me how the black and white choice, when I was watching it, it de-emphasizes distraction. Any sort of like, oh, wow, that's a cool colored dress or whatever. It removes all of that. So I, I felt like I could really hone in on the story. And yet it, what you just said, Rochelle, it brings up all these other different things you can focus on and and really how rich it gets that's fascinating to me I hadn't really considered that before and removing the color distraction because I felt that too Stace where I was able to like really hone in on the dialogue and just like really pay attention which kind of makes it feel like a play again if we're talking about that because you're like so focused and like honed in on the performer in front of you that you're not sidetracked so much by the color of the dress or the background, you know, you're just like there with the performer. (laughs) Right. Right. Which makes me think of energy. When I think of watching a play, you're like locking into their energy, you know, Mm -hmm. there's that intense connection. So yeah, with the black and white sort of this intentional or unintentional device to, to create that vice grip, that laser focus. And it, it definitely for me, wasn't standard black and white there. It wasn't sepia obviously, but there was a different moodiness to the lighting choices that accompanied the black and white. And it so often helped usher in, like you were saying, energy, Stacey, and and I'm attaching to the word mood for some reason, but whatever shadow lurks 
whatever is remaining in the background still felt there even while we were in the present foreground. And so it felt very layered and very textured, whether that was the patterns that were chosen for outfits that didn't necessarily go together, but they made the the scene vivid, or it was in her room when it's almost so dark, you can barely make anything out. And you just imagine the amount of silent thought or, or hurt or insecurity or, or excitement, all of these emotions that are conveyed in the mood of, of the coloring and of the scene, as well as, as in the relationships. But just that extra layer, I always felt like there was some sort of shadow lurking there. And, you know, if you want to get all philosophical about it, it's that that pressure we put on ourselves to achieve something, the baggage we carry when when our voice hasn't been heard yet, when we can't find where we fit in, where what we're trying to say has fallen on deaf ears for whatever reason, political, racial, gender related, whatever. Yeah, I felt differently about this color scheme than I probably ever have in a modern black and white film. I mean, it's almost like Sin City. You know, it's like really mm. high contrast. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's the starkness the darks are really dark and the lights like are really light, you know, so you're really like able to see the full spectrum, which I do feel like speaks to what you said, Rochelle, about how Rado is inspired by a photographer. Well, and she kept pulling those inspirations through, you know, whether it's like Carrie Mae Weems, who was the autobiographical photographer that she really looked at her art and saw how she captured herself. Rado would look at these photographs and, and then other artists that she decorated all of the walls, <laughs> you know, depending on, you know, which home you were in. If you were in Archie's house, character played by Peter Kim, whom I really appreciated in Sex and the City, by the way, uh, you know, he's wealthy. So the art that you see in his home created by black artists, black female artists is going to be more, um, it's going to be large form, very expensive, things like that. But then you have these smaller intimate portraits hanging in her room, uh, exemplifying incredible, incredible art underrepresented, underrecognized by Black women. I mean, seriously, like the quilt that she wove of this film, it's just artistry on top of artistry on top of artistry on top of artistry. It's fantastic. And yeah, I think it's kind of like a once in a lifetime. I mean, maybe that's an overstatement, but it kind of feels like that of being able to weave in so many different artistic elements into one piece of work and have it work so cohesively that you kind of don't even think about it. You know, you're just like swept up in the story. So you're not because you're not sitting there thinking like, my God, this black and white contrast is amazing, you know, (laughs) or at least I wasn't because I was engrossed in the story but yeah it just works together so perfectly and I'm sure the more we watch the film to me it feels like it's going to be one that continues to blow my mind I'm like god how did she do that how do you think (laughs) of all these different components working together so well where they just continue to get better for viewers and also to the point the viewers honestly probably aren't even thinking about it while watching because they're just swept up and it's funny (laughs) it's so funny her lyrics the the song about the big white guy ass I can't oh I loved that one it's like her jumping off point like oh my god the one I always think of is the one that played in the trailer about like why am I so tired right now why did my back hurt 
It's the this is 40. It's it's the theme Mm -hmm. song. Well, and Radha, she describes herself as a non-actor. I listened to a a Sway's Universe podcast featuring Radha and Oswin Benjamin, who plays Dee in the film. And Radha describes herself as a non-actor. And this is Dee's first acting job. Uh, So for all intents and purposes, Dee is a non-actor before this film. And what a way to step out. I mean, to determine how you need to have your voice heard. You want it shown in a certain way. You've been on stage before. Now you're going to perform your own life story (laughs) in a feature film alongside other non-actors and or actors who definitely probably help pull things along and bring, bring things to life, bring characters to life. But what a risk. It's it totally paid off. And I feel like we're seeing it more and more. Uh, American Honey comes to mind. Oh, I love that film. That was a non-actor. Yep. You know, she was just authentic. Um, Florida Project yeah. is another I mean, it's one. indie films, yeah, that are bringing that to the table. Because the writer, too, Stace, which I haven't seen, but you talk about that film a lot. They did that as well. The writer was, mm-hmm. was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Finding oh, people who are experts in their work, in their craft, mm-hmm. and then saying, here is a story about everything you love. Basically be mm-hmm. you bigger. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that doesn't always work. No. Like, you know, that doesn't always work with everybody on camera. There, I'm, That's not to say that it's like easy, you know, you take anybody and just be like, get over here, you put a camera on them and have it flow. But yeah, it's magical when you find people that that works with because the authenticity is so different than with an actor. I mean, even just like living in the real world authenticity, you know, it's different when you can find people that can really pull it off. Yeah. It brings to mind Beast of the Southern Wild and Wendy, filmmaker who prefers to work with non-actor children. And just the performances, it's like Florida, Sean Baker's Florida Project. It's it's getting these performances out of of young, earnest kids. You know, and a lot of times setting them against other other seasoned actors. You know, um, like in Florida Project, we have Willem, our beautiful Willem Dafoe. Ugh. And and that really works, especially in that film. But I'm always really impressed when it does when it does pan out when when you get these authentic raw performances. And that's exactly what we see here. And but Rada put herself up to the task. And I, I just have to commend her. What a what a bold choice. Uh, that's commitment. That is commitment to to finding and making the place where your voice carries. And it's an inspiration these days for creators. You know, it's cool. Like go make your craft and then if you want, make a movie about it someday. Maybe totally. it'll be well received at Sundance. Yeah, especially as I'm rounding 40, I definitely <laughs> felt that. in the neighborhood. You're a couple blocks away. I'm still. approaching. I'm like two blocks away. You're like, Okay, I'm three blocks three away. You're three blocks away and like the you have the red hand on the crosswalk. Like, wait, Missy. I'm just saying I definitely resonated with that too just because I'm an aging person and that's – that's newer. You're sitting there thinking, Aging like, why is new. am I so tired right now? And why does my, my back, back hurt? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's no deadline. Just go right now and do it. Just be yourself, be authentic, and hopefully it will work. Like you said, it doesn't work every time, but 
But even if it doesn't, who cares? It's like, okay, bad example, but Jonathan Van Ness and his figure skating, he does that for himself. Yeah. Maybe he has millions of followers on social media, so that changes it. But like, go do it for you because, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, creating's cool, but it doesn't always have to be showcased. It just feels good to do it and it connects you with yourself probably in the most wholesome way you could reconnect with yourself. Also watch my octopus teacher just to like hammer home this point. Go. (laughs) Well, and in that Sway podcast that I listened to, Oswin talks about creating out of a place of desperation and how that can lead to this concept of selling out and how it can lead to, I think he was talking about writing lyrics that are about things that he wouldn't normally want to write about or, or topics he doesn't care about that aren't for him. And how there is a measure of that. And we see that in this film when Rada is forced in a way, not really, but yeah, forced to make these by the white people, by the white people (laughs) chooses to keep working with them, but is in order to still work with them is forced to completely alter the, the heart and soul of, of her work. And it's then in a sprint to find a way to be authentic and picks back up, rapping and and writing lyrics, even if you are having to work a job that doesn't make your soul sing, even if you have to pay your bills, try and do something that brings you back to yourself so that it's a shorter distance to getting away from the thing that's not you, to get back to what is you. At least be giving to yourself in some way um, is really what I took away from what Oswin was saying because there was no shame in, in the idea that the world is the world and we have to navigate the world, but be sure that you're investing in yourself, in your voice, in your creativity. That is my takeaway for this film, to follow your passion, pay attention to what you loved as a kid, do that. You never know where that will take you. That's how I always visualize myself as a 12-year-old girl because that's what my mom told me to do <laughs> when if you're holding judgment for yourself or, you know... You need to be good to yourself, and it's easier to be good to yourself when you visualize yourself as the little girl you once were, the little the little person you once were. I love it. Well, <laughs> and there's a measure of trust in that. And I mean, everyone had a different experience at 12, uh, but whatever age that was when you did trust yourself, remembering what that felt like and working to trust your adult self, the acronym for a 40-year-old version, F-Y-O-V, find your own voice. You know, it just the layers never stop. Oh my God. I just did the biggest <laughs> eye roll, but that of respect and admiration. It's like, trust yourself, find yourself and, and trust them. Uh, and just keep working to get back there or build it or perform it. Definitely wrap or it. <laughs> make a play, wrap it, perform it, add in photography elements, get your brother on board. <laughs> Find people you love. Find people you love, them. like your Make brother. Something. <laughs> Make something. Have your students show up to all of your events and cheer you oh, on. We didn't even thank you so much for bringing the students up right here at the end. They were just joyous. They worked as a, well, a well-oiled backdrop for this concept of insecurity, self-insecurity, self-actualization, realization combing through the creative process. What was that play that they were making? I don't even know. It was about like things that would get edited off of the radio. (laughs) 
It would just be a solid line of beats if we said it. She just said yes. Yes, do it. Okay, sure. Go for it. I appreciated that. I love that. I love those types of supports too that like kind of come out of like the wings, you know, like I'm sure, well, maybe teachers do this. I'm not a teacher, but I love that her high schoolers always showed up for her Mm -hmm. in times where she wasn't feeling like super supported. I liked the reversal, you know, the idea of those who can't teach, those students were changed by her. And yeah, she was in a specific season, a drier season for her writing career. She was not getting recognized, but they got to be a part of her rise. And those are the lessons, like that's the stuff. So if you can or if you can't, whatever, maybe you should still teach. (laughs) Give to each other. (laughs) Teaching's amazing. And those kids were awesome. You want some cool cheerleaders? Teach drama. (laughs) (laughs) For real. It's so corny, but I feel like just saying thank you to Rada Blank for being fearful and fearless. That vulnerability was such a gift. It was powerful. I'll never forget it. If it hasn't been made abundantly clear, run to Netflix, check out Rada's work. If you are even more curious, you can dive into her her previous stage plays, Happy Flower Nail, Casket Sharp, Nanny Land, and the critically acclaimed Seed. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh my God. I checked the polls, everyone, and I'm having a panic attack. Okay, so I gotta it's actually, go. It's better than I I'm just saying, Stop it. I don't know if it's ever meant so much, but stay safe and stream on. Since the recording of this podcast, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the 2020 United States presidential election to become our 46th president and first female POC vice president in U.S. history. This has been a Quarantine Style Talking to Crows production.